Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Best Friends Forever, looking at the principles that move you to a deeper level of oneness and joy with your spouse. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. The title this morning is uh, Building the House, and let's look, we're going to look particularly at Psalm 127. And let me just uh, read that real quickly. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They are not ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. I will always remember driving through a town in Germany in back when uh, East Germany was communist, and we, I was on a clandestine disciple-making trip. And so we had snuck in there. I was supposedly a student, and I was traveling with someone who was supposedly a travel agent. And we went from town to town and would meet with a key Christian leader to spend all day discipling them, doing the discipleship for one month in one day with someone we'd never met before and would never see again. But we had notes in code from the person that had come the previous month to know where was the rendezvous point, at which building and what stairwell and what floor. But anyway, driving through this town, I looked up at one of these buildings that was probably three or four hundred years old. And chiseled in stone around the top, right under the, the eaves of the roof, in huge letters, must have been, you know, I mean, they, they, you were far away so it didn't look big, but I'm sure up close they were probably about six feet tall, these letters. Wenn der Herr das Haus nicht aufbaut, when the Lord doesn't build the house, they labor in vain that build it. All the way around the top of this, what was a government building, communist government building, and written on it, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Ten years later, the wall fell. And that verse that had, had been written around that building for all the 50-so years of communism, finally was fulfilled. And I guess just because of decoration stuff, they, and they thought, well, it doesn't mean anything anyway. And yet uh, their epitaph was written as soon as they first moved into the building. Because unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. So we want to look at that today. What does that mean to build a house, to build a house? And let's just talk about, i got a little diagram here. Uh, if you're going to build a house, and meaning have a family and everything, first you've got to, of course, be born and grow up. We don't want Joseph getting married next year. And you need your education. And you probably could do with a job to support that family. Then you need to find somebody that will have you. For some of us, that was harder than for others. Some of you had a long line of people to pick from, and others were beginning to wonder if your train was ever going to come into town. And so finally you get married and your first stage in building the house is your partners. And God's original plan is it's until 
death do you part, or your graduation, or whatever you want to call it. If you're a Christian, you, you go up. So you're, it's an upgrade, not a downgrade. And then, uh, as God blesses, as we saw in this passage, behold, children are a gift of the Lord, so you become parents. Now, some God decides not to give children, they adopt, and others, He doesn't give children, they don't adopt, but there are people that they have an influence on and are a blessing to, and in a sense become spiritual parents. So we're really all meant to be parents in one or more ways. And then finally, your, your children get married, and maybe they have children, and you become grandparents. But before then, your, your children leave the nest, go off to college and do stuff. So, and really, from that empty nest phase on, there's a third part that I would just call your being, your should be, patriarchs. Patriarchs. That's sort of a big term to imagine yourself in, you know? You think it's just a little old me, and I still don't feel that old. Uh, I do creak a lot, but uh, I wouldn't have thought of myself as a patriarch, you know? That's, well, hard enough to get used to the idea of being a grandparent. And each has its own challenges. You get started, and there are lots of challenges here at the beginning, just adjusting to each other when you're, when you're partners, and you begin to find out things about each other, and run into snags, and it's not as easy to resolve as you thought it was going to be, and there are extended family issues, and then you think, well, when do we want to have kids? Should we wait, etc.? There might be health issues. Then everything going on with having children and having more children and then not getting along or getting sick and Christmas and presents and birthdays and all of these different things in a very messy house and uh, lots of sensing from the world around you, the people around you, no, you're not doing it that way and you haven't thought about this and aren't you going to do this? So you're thinking all of these different thoughts, you know, and all these things are happening in your kids' lives and then they get in their teen years, and that may be a very troubled time, uh, even bigger issues that you have even less control over. And then they go off and they do whatever they're going to do, and they may decide, make some great choices, they may make some horrible choices, they may get in an, an accident, they may have a life-threatening disease, you may even lose one of them. So all the way through here, it's uh, filled with joys, challenges, it's the agony, it's the ecstasy, but it's all wrapped up in building, building a house. And this psalm is so short, it's only five verses long, but it's about this subject of building the house. And he really just wants to say pretty much one thing. Now let's look at the psalm. It says, well, I want, to, I want you to give a title to the psalm so that you just write this at the top of your page above where it says Psalm 127. And the title I want you to give it is, He Gives to His Beloved. And this is just a phrase taken out of the text. He Gives to His Beloved. And then I want you to write a line where there's a break in the middle, uh, right after it says, For He Gives to His Beloved even in His Sleep. Just do a line across, right under there, all the way across, because that's the kind of the division of the psalm into two parts. And by the first part, I want you to write, By partnering with us, in our labors. In the left column, right by that top section, by partnering with us in our labors. He gives to his beloved by partnering with us in our labors. And by the second part, put by giving to us children and a legacy. By giving to us children and a legacy. So the first one was by partnering with us in our labors. 
And the second was by giving to us children and a legacy. Now when it says unless the Lord builds the house, it's not limiting this concept to a building in which to store your family, big or little. Uh, the term house in the Bible uh, means marriage, children, descendants, lineage, heritage. It's a big concept. It's a, it's a big term. The Bible also often talks about the house of David, and it's not talking about the building where he lived. It's talking about his whole family line and all that came out of his stump, you know, out of that shoot that came out of Jesse. And so when it says, unless the Lord builds the house, it's talking about really this whole thing. Unless the Lord is involved in that, it's in vain. That, um, there are three things that it mentions in that first section. It talks about building, it talks about guarding, and it talks about laboring. Why don't you circle those three words, builds, guards, and labors. And that kind of summarizes... Uh, particularly for for the men, maybe. Uh, those are the three things that men's lives are wrapped up in. With building, you've got the original construction, the creation of the home, in terms of uh, finding someone to marry, making a, a living, getting started, getting a place to live, kind of getting set up. And then you've got the guarding aspect, which is the conserving, the preservation. There are many natural enemies to your family, within and without. There's germs and sicknesses, there are, there are dangers, there are streets to cross, there are environmental things, there are, there are decisions as far as school, friends, church, crime issues, safe, all kind of safety issues. And then there's just a lot of work. Labor is the third one. That's where the cultivation, the consolidation, the maintenance, just keeping the thing going. So you got it built, you try to protect it, and then you you got to keep it going. You know, it's that's the thing, if any of you have bought a second piece of property or something that recreational, some people, my dad would always have a boat, you know, but once you get one of those things, you realize there's more to it than just the fun part of it. You know, you gotta, you got to keep it going, there's usually taxes on it, uh, you got to put it somewhere when you're not using it, or if it's a second piece of property or a little lake house or whatever, you know, when you're not there, somebody might break in. I mean, there's just all kind of things labor-wise, work-wise, that can absorb your time and attention. But all of those three things, building, guarding, laboring, have to do with, with your family, with your house, with building, with building a house. And the thing he says again and again, like re repeating it to underline it, he says, unless God is also building and guarding and working, it's all in vain. Now, he doesn't say... If God isn't involved, you can't do it. He doesn't say that. He says, no. He says, in vain, they labor in vain. Who build it? They are building it. You can be busy. There's a lot that you can do. But there's a lot that you can't do. There's, it's really out of your control, isn't it? You can basically do everything that the books say is the right thing to do, and it's still not go very well. Your marriage, your parenting, your grandparenting, your in-lawing, it's not just up to you. He's, he doesn't just say things go better with a dash of God. You know, I mean, it's good like it is, but it's God's like seasoning salt. You just dash a little of that in it. Now that really is the final touch. You know, he says no. He says without Him, it's really in vain. 
And that word in vain, it's different from the in vain that you find in Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, which is the word breath. Like on a cold day and you can see your breath and it goes away like that. This word vain is, is used in terms of false prophecy. It's the idea of a mirage, of an illusion. It looks like something, but it ends up not being something. And the closest word I've found for it in the English language is baloney. It's a bunch of baloney. You know, uh, there are a lot of other words uh, in any language to express that thought, but I've got, I looked up in the, uh, my book for some other words. It's like bunk, hooey, bull, poppycock, drivel, hogwash, balderdash, nonsense, rigmarole, rubbish, tommy rot, malarkey, jive. He says you can, you can put out so much effort, so much energy, you can work on it so hard, think about it so much, but unless God's not really, really involved and is the, the central figure in that, he says, you're fooling yourself. You're kidding yourself. We see this, this uh, idea in a number of other verses, Zechariah 4.10, that you've heard of, uh, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, John 6.63, Jesus says, that it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do a couple of things. No, he says, you can do nothing. Now, this, this idea of house comes up uh, with King David, actually, in what's called the Davidic Covenant. And in fact, why don't you turn to it real quick in 2 Samuel. This is a verse I felt like God gave me at, at one point in 1977. And we ended up putting it on our wedding invitation. 2 Samuel 7.11. And this is the time when David wanted to, had this idea to build a temple, and uh, Nathan the prophet says, great, sounds like a good idea. Then Nathan gets a word from the Lord, and God says, no, I don't want him to do that. So Nathan has to go back and say, well, sorry, you know, I kind of, so that was okay. And God says, it's not okay because you've killed too many people. There's too much blood on your hands for you to be the one that builds the temple. And it's pretty tough to have something in your past that disqualifies you from something. A health thing, a moral thing. And David was one of the greatest men that's ever lived, and God still talks about him and says wonderful things about him. And yet he had something like that. So you should never think that, well, because I had premarital sex, or I had an abortion, or I uh, failed here, or our marriage has gone through troubled times, or we've had a very difficult child, that like, like you know, we're kind of second-hand rows the rest of our life. Now, that's the main people God uses. It really is. But you've got to be, learn to be strong in the grace of God, not try to be strong in a powerful resume, uh, but in who you are and in who He is. And so God doesn't just come and say, well, you, this door is closed, you can't do this, sorry, Charlie, you know, maybe your son will be able to do it. He says, uh, he gives him one of the greatest promises of all time. The second part of verse 11 says, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. And then David prays and goes on and on. He says, I can't believe you made me this promise. And you think, well, what? You know, I mean... He's going to help you build a chalet, you know, that, that's nice, but, uh, but what God is saying is eventually 
makes clear that what he's saying is, I'm going to give you descendants that will be the kings of my kingdom forever. And that's a, an example of where there were things that David did to build his house, but God says, I'm going to build. I'm going to guard. I'm going to labor on your behalf with you. I mean, it wasn't as though he said to David, you don't have to do anything. No, no. You always have to be involved. You're still going to have to work really hard building, guarding, laboring. But unless the Lord builds the house, it's in vain. But if God is building, we can trust for Him for great things. So the big question comes as you've looked at this. We're, now we're convinced. You know, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor in vain, the building. You go back and look through the psalm and say, well, how can we make sure if that's that important? I mean, is this a roll of the dice? It's like, hey, he may, he may not. You may not even know if he is. And just uh, hope, you know. Think positively. No, no. Uh, you go back and you look and say, is there any key that he gives uh, as far as uh, how to make sure, if that's that important, if that's that essential, how can I be sure he's doing that? And the psalm doesn't say a thing about it. But the good thing is, the rest of the Bible is about that. This is just trying to get your attention. But the rest of the scripture is written about how to make sure that as you build, guard, and labor, that God is also building guarding and laboring with you. Let's look a little bit. What does the Bible say about how to be sure that God is with you, building, guarding, laboring, unless the Lord builds the house? I wonder if we played a video of your life of the last two weeks. We've just come with the surprise. We didn't tell you. And we found a way to video all of your actions and all of your thoughts for the last two weeks. We've, we've just gone through and edited it, picked out the highlights, pros and cons. And, and we have a screen here. We'll just pull that down and uh, celebrate your life and your family and with your God. I wonder what, what we would see. As far as your, particularly as far as your walk with God, where you are with Him. You know, a lot of times we think, well, it's just that right now I'm doing these kind of things. And it's, and it's, I, once I get this sort of, then I, the only day you've got is today. There may never be a tomorrow. And if you always live your todays thinking, well, tomorrow I'll, I'll fo follow God, tomorrow I'll, We'll do that stuff with the family. You know, today is the day that you've got. This season may be the only season you have with each other. It may be the only season you have with your children. And too often we think, well, we just got to do this and then we'll do that. And I realize there's always going to be some of that, but some people always only live in the future. And that's a big danger. So I want to cover a couple of areas that the Bible teaches in terms of how to be sure that God is with you as you build your family. And the first one to talk about is how essential it is to have a heart for God. A heart for God. I mean, I wonder, at the rate you're going, men, are you really going to reach your potential as a man of God? I mean, honestly, with what you're currently doing to seek God, uh, you've only got a certain number of years. You can do the math, you know. None of us is going to be around at age 110, and if we are, we're going to be miserable. So, 
You know, you know how about how many decades you got, and frankly, don't don't put too much stock in that last ten years. You know, it'll mostly be just kind of hanging in there. So, maybe, you know, you may think you got thirty, forty, knock off ten because you know you don't know how that ten's going to go. But that's okay. But seriously, at the rate you're going with what you're doing, are you really going to reach your potential as a man of God? Ladies, how about you? With what you're doing now, with how you're approaching life, with how you're prioritizing things, are you really going to reach your potential as a woman of God? Are you just playing at your faith, or is it truly the cornerstone of your existence? Have you really made a complete surrender of everything to Him? Your life, your marriage, your, your children, your health. Or do you live trying to control what you can't control and fearing things that God might allow? Or have you come to a place of such surrender and trust that you say, Lord, whatever you've got for me, it's fine. Uh, some people have to go through accidents. Some people have to go through cancer. That's all right. I'm your penny. You can spend me any way you want. You want to come to that place of surrender where God means so much to you that you can give him a blank check and not worry about it. Say, we'll be fine. And you'll, in some way, write Jesus on our life. And if we go through a deep valley, it's okay. You said, I will be with you. And Lord, if you think that's enough, then I'm going to take your word for it. You'll be enough. Do you really take time to seek Him? It's easy to just get in the religious rut where you... Show up at church for some of the activities, and that's a great thing to do. And you have a, a garnish your day with a little devotional, and say, we're done. Now, is that really a heart for God? I can't answer that for you. I mean, maybe you yeah, each one of us will give account of himself to God. But I, I assure you, all the people that have become significant for God, and I'm not talking about ministers and priests, most of the people in this book that followed God were not full-time Christian workers. They were regular people, businessmen, moms, regular people, but that really got a heart for God and weren't content just with a little parsley garnish of a little devotional or a little religion or a little... It's somehow they found a way to make that their walk with God the cornerstone of their life, whatever that meant for them. Do you have a heart for God? Secondly, you know, the first, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Uh, second, love your neighbor as yourself. Guess who your neighbor is? Guess where the word neighbor comes from? It comes from the word nearby. In other words, whoever is nearest to you. Guess who is nearest to you? You know, the one that's nearest to me is my queen. It's my Wendy. How, how is that going? I wonder if your spouse can even really talk to you. I wonder if you even know whether or not they feel like they can talk to you. Are you, in the midst of all that you do together, really becoming strangers? Are you really ready for them to be completely honest with you in the way they feel they need to be? Or would you, in different ways, communicate, that's enough, you better stop right there before you get yourself in deep trouble? Are you ready to study to learn, to change. Instead of saying, no, everything's fine, we're, just, we're not going to talk about this, you know, let's just keep moving. 
you know, we suggested those books, there are talks, there are people to talk to, there's all kind of things where you could seek an upgrade in your marriage relationship. But you know, some people are either too afraid or too proud to ever take those steps. And they're probably not in this room because uh, people that are like that wouldn't even come to a retreat like that. So I mean, I'm not kind of preaching to the choir here. But your drive to say, I know we're not where we ought to be yet. We're going to find some things, some resources that would help move us the next step along. Now, it doesn't matter if we're just getting started as partners, or if we're in the parenting stage, the grandparenting stage, patriarch stage. Patriarch stage is, is a very interesting one because, you see, you start off with a fair amount of control because it's a small thing, the kids are little, you're kind of at the beginning, so there's sort of a, the freshness, fresh start kind of time. But you get further and further along, you've got more and more concerns, but less and less control. And so you end up being a spectator at gladiatorial games, and you're just you're up in the stands, and you've maybe shot a few things down, but they're going to do whatever they want to do. It's, oh no, so-and-so just stabbed so-and-so, and look what they're doing with my grandkids, etc., etc. And if you don't become mighty in spirit, and mighty in God, and mighty in prayer, you're probably just going to be a problem, not a patriarch. A patriarch is someone that knows how to go up on the mountain and stand before God like Moses did and said, God, I know they sinned, but slay me if you have to. But give them another chance. Are you going to get there? Or are you just going to be an old grumpy person that complains? Are you going to become mighty in God and mighty in prayer and mighty in surrender and mighty in sacrifice? Or are you just going to retire and go on cruises? It's okay to go on cruises, prayer cruise. But when some people think of their old age, they think of themselves. They don't think of their legacy. They don't think of the impact that they can have through their walk with God and the quality of their relationship. You know, if only one-third of the people that get married first time end up married, do you realize how unique your relationship will be if you're 70 or 80 and still together and you add to that really in love? Because of the people that stay together, they say 90% of them say they're not happy. So, I mean, it's first goal, stay together. Second goal, you want to make that spouse one of the happiest people on the face of the earth. And no one else can do it but you. Nobody else can do it. Are you ready to study and learn and change? Are you ready to focus on your part in your relationship with your spouse? And then, well, we would be fine if they would just, you know, they just meathead, dingbat, you know, I mean... Are you ready to focus on your meatheadness? Are you ready to focus on your dingbatness, you know? Uh, the only person you can change is you. And one of the things that helps me to realize is, if I were more like Jesus, I would be easier for Wendy to follow and a better example for her to imitate. And if there's anything that I think, well, she could do this or think that, well, the first thing for us to start in terms of changing is that I'd be a better husband for her. Are you ready to expose your secret sin and deal with it? Some of you have got some, got some things, and it really is the, the cavities in your marriage. 
It, maybe it's, it's small enough to where you can keep it hidden. But you realize as we went through the ten knees and all those kind of things, you realize we really don't talk at that level. And frankly, I'm afraid to talk at that level. Are you ready to really deal with sin? To expose it, deal with it. Third, we've talked about a heart for God. We've talked about a heart for your spouse. The Word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. He was quoting the Old Testament. So it said in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It said twice, he quotes it twice in the New Testament. Matthew 4, Luke 4. It's a promise. He says, you, you can't exist without God's Word. Friends, most people, most Christians are on a starvation diet with the Word of God. Now, Americans have a lot of Bibles. But they look in pretty good shape, you know. You open people's Bibles and it, it doesn't look like there's a lot of hand oil on those pages. There's not markings. They don't have notebooks full of stuff that they're learning. Maybe they did from their first years of Christian or a period of time they went through. But most people have little or no ambition with the Bible. It's like a base that you tag, you know, each, maybe each day or each week. Tag, okay, I did that. You know, yeah, we read this little devotional. It took us about two minutes. You know, we read this. Okay, we done? Okay, have a little prayer. Do you have any ambition with the Word of God? Some people have the ambition, well, I want to read through the Bible every year or every two years. Uh, some have the ambition, I want to have studied every book of the Bible before I die. Well, you better get with it. There are 66 books in there. How old are you? How long do you plan to live? How long does it take to study? You want to have some goals and some ambitions with the Scripture that challenge you, that get you to think, I, I better get after it. I, I, you know, if you're planning on getting up that mountain before nightfall, uh, then you better start hiking now. Whereas if you're not going anywhere, what's the rush? You know, I'm not trying to accomplish anything. I'm just trying to have a little bit so I can feel good about myself. I've really been convicted, you know. I mean, I've, I enjoy having my quiet times, but I realize I, I have lost sight of really having a compelling, grand ambition for where I want to go with the Bible before I die. I was challenged by uh, a young guy that's dating our daughter Caroline. And uh, just a freshman at Clemson, and he said, I, I want to I try to memorize the New Testament before I graduate from Clemson. And you see, your first thought is, right. <laughs> but your second thought is, what a wonderful thing that the thought would even occur to somebody. <laughs> After he memorized the first ten chapters of Matthew, I think he decided that, well, maybe it's a lifetime goal. <laughs> but he got through ten chapters of Matthew. What are you doing with your Bible? You know, we say, oh, we bemoan today's youth. They're going to pass us like a rabbit racing by tortoise. So read, study. If you're still able to memorize, memorize. Meditate. On this passage, Psalm 127, I've probably spent 20 hours now, 20 or 30 hours. There's a lot in the Scripture. Learn, learn how to study the Bible. But to have projects, it could be that... You think uh, you may be at a stage where you could uh, go on a weekend conference. They have great conferences at the Cove with wonderful speakers coming in. But I think, how could we be ambitious with God's Word this year? 
And there's some seasons where you've got almost no time. God never asked people to sacrifice a lamb that they didn't own, that they didn't have. So they have to sneak her over to somebody else's flock at night. You know, so I've got to get this thing for God, you know. <laughs> Steal the lamb and go sacrifice. You know, so if you have little kids at home and you really have no time, really even hardly to breathe, much less to nap, God is not saying, well, where are those two hours? Uh, I was expecting that you were going to get in the Bible and in prayer. But you see, the problem is we, we get to where we can make allowances for that which we should and is appropriate. When it's that much is going on, God understands what's the problem. Well, they get into their teen years and they're gone more and more. Then they go off to college. Now we've got these big blocks of time. Do we get more time in the Bible and prayer? Not really. You know, now we could spend four hours. We're still doing a five-minute devotional. Now who are we kidding? And it's not just a matter of doing stuff, you know, like some obligation or something, and just discipline, but it's be, be strategic. What, what in the big picture, what, what would be a good goal? What, what should we accomplish with the Scripture? How can we move ahead in that? If, if you're not with God and His Word, He's not going to be with you. The Bible says that it's the, with the person that meditates in the Scripture day and night, that person prospers in all they do, Psalm 1. Fourth and last, in terms of your prayer life, fail here and you've missed the boat. Even Jesus, the Son of God, was always found sneaking off to pray. My friends, if the second person of the Trinity realizes you can't survive here on earth without a powerful prayer life, who do you think you are? Now, you're never going to feel like your prayer life is going great. I don't think. I mean, I haven't found, I've never gotten there, and I've never found anybody. Usually, the better someone's doing, the worse they feel about it. So don't, don't go measuring this on your feelings. But this is an area that should grow. It's an area that must grow. There's, there's a lot to learn. You know, I've got eight hours of messages on prayer called Drawing Near to the Throne of Grace that we can give you on MP3. You can listen to when you go on a, on a trip or something. Uh, use a prayer list. A uh, suggestion for your, for your prayers after this retreat is to write down on a card your wife's or your husband's top five emotional needs and pray that every day. Pray that you would remember them, and if you pray them every day, you might eventually know them. You know, that's a start. I think, well, at least I didn't just immediately forget them. I like to do most things. And then pray that God will give you creativity and energy to serve your spouse in that way and pray that your spouse would feel loved by the things that you do and that it would be a blessing to them. Your prayers. And finally, men, I just want to encourage you to lead out, to engage, initiate, learn to listen, be a learner. Your wives are the ones really that have the the vision in terms of being able to see things. Wives collect an immense amount of raw data. They don't always know what to make of it because the emotions are also stirred up in there. And so it can be kind of a wild ride. But without seeing things through your wife's eyes, you're pretty clueless. You just don't, you don't pick up enough information. And your wives do. But God is meant for you to make the most of the incredible strength that your wife brings to you, to get that information to you, and to take it before God and think how to lead 
the, uh, the family and my wife uh, given the, this new information I've got. It's time for the men to rise up and be great men for God, great husbands for God, great fathers for God. And women, we really want to make you happy, but it's kind of hard because there are a lot of things women want, and that's okay. You're just made that way. But there is a part of your happiness that only you can do. Eve in the garden had everything. She had a perfect relationship with God, a perfect husband, a perfect body, a perfect environment. And she fell into sin because she was discontent. If it can happen to Eve in those circumstances, what hope does a husband have in making you happy unless you learn to be happy in God? We desperately need you women to be spiritual, not just religious. We need you to go deep with your God. Even though you've got a lot of things around, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And no husband can get you to do that. You have to do that. So let me close with a word of prayer that the Lord would be with us. Lord, we thank you so much that you give to your beloved, even as sometimes just in our sleep. But as we have walked with our God and trusted in him and called out to him and fed on his word and loved you and loved our spouse, we believe that you are at work for our good, for your glory. We give you praise, Lord. We love you. And we want so much to build our house with a lasting legacy. We want to be great partners, great parents, great grandparents, great patriarchs. But we can't do it without you. Apart from you, nothing. With you, Lord, we will see the glory of God. Thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.